For the past three weeks, I've been on a series that I began concerning life in the family. Life in the family. Talking about the dynamics of Christian families and the culture in which we live. And, of course, last week was Mother's Day, and those are always wonderful services. And today I'm actually going to be speaking about something that in the 36 years of being in the ministry, I've never... I've never preached on the passage of Scripture that I'm going to preach on today, nor on this topic. And so it has been uh, an interesting time of study for us. But I want to talk about being single in the family. Being single in the family. Oftentimes we have this connotation when we're talking about the family and, and how God works in the family that, that we're speaking only of couples or established families and married people with children and and, and there are those in our congregation and in our world that are single that feel like there, there's nothing whatsoever that addresses me and where I am. And I believe that the Scripture has some great things to say to you as we approach this Life in the Family series, talking about being single in the family of God. And I'm going to ask if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to read a passage that Paul was writing in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 7. And Paul begins by saying, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, how many of you are really excited to hear about this Some of you are going, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) Father, as we approach you this morning, we do so with an understanding that it's through your Holy Spirit that as you lead us and guide us that we can be full of the full meaning of everything you intend to teach us. And I pray today that you would help me be clear with the things that you've laid upon my heart and that as a family, we can grow together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday morning, just a little bit before 7, I woke up and I reached over to where Cindy normally is and I'm kind of padding around in bed and I discovered that she's not there. How many of the rest of you got up early yesterday morning to watch this TV event called The Royal Wedding? Come on guys, admit it. Some of you are looking around going, there were 1.2 billion people in the world that watched that wedding, so I know there were more of you than claim. What a story. An unlikely common girl finds her prince. Does that not sound like every Hallmark movie you have ever watched? A prince finds his true love. I couldn't help but noticing Number one, during the wedding, I I watched it. (laughs) My wife had it on. I just wanted to be with her. (laughs) Family unity thing. My favorite part was when that black Episcopal pastor got up there and preached the word. I loved watching the stodgy British squirming. (laughs) The queen shuffling her feet and putting underneath the brill of her head down. And I'm thinking, oh, preach it, brother. Preach it. Let there be some life in this old building. It's 500 years old. The Holy Spirit needs to come in every now and then. And you could just see those that were 
accustomed to having life when they entered into the house of the Lord. And those that were going, no, 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 none of that here. None of that here. Okay, that was just off the topic a little bit. I just love that particular part. But as the carriage ride took place, as the couple comes out and everybody is screaming and cheering and they get into the chariots and they begin to go off on, on horseback, some of the announcers were talking about how wonderful is this that we finally get to see this couple happy and whole. And they talked about how, how their memories went back to when Harry was following years ago the, his mother's casket behind these same horses and, and how this woman finally brought life to him and, and for her and the life that she has gone through to get there, uh, that, that finally she meets the man and they are a whole together. And I begin to look at that and say, that's probably one of the problems that we have in our world is believing somehow that only when you're married are you whole. That only out there somewhere is an individual that when you find them and you marry them that you are whole. And I want to I approach the word this morning by starting with a critique of marriage. We've developed some wrong and distorted ways of thinking about marriage. That marriage to many has become the idol. We in the church have been guilty of elevating marriage to such a lofty place that people think that being married is the ideal status. And if I haven't yet reached that, or if somehow I had reached it and it, and it has slipped through my fingers, that I am a less than. And I'm not completely fulfilled and I can't be until I meet somebody else. And I read this week of one cynic who wrote of marriage and said it's like this. Marriage is like flies on the screen door. There are those on the outside looking longingly to get in, and there are those on the inside looking longingly at the screen at what is on the outside. I was actually walking in a store this week, and, and I don't generally make it a, a habit to read what people's shirts say, but there was this woman that was coming in. It was written in such big letters, and, and my mind had been on this, and I looked, and it said this. It said, love is blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. Now, I know that we won't say it, but I wonder if underlying the way that we declare it, we make people feel in the church as if in order to be a good Christian, you must be married. And then further on from that, that if you want to be a really, really good Christian, you have to have a couple of kids. Now, we're pretty good at that here because there's kids all over downstairs. And so as I critique what I believe to be a faulty view of marriage, let me also say that I am in no way denigrating marriage because the Bible very clearly tells us that in terms of importance, marriage is a good gift. But you need to hear me this morning, and especially in light of the way that we have just been indoctrinated as a culture yesterday, marriage is not ultimate. Marriage is not ultimate. The bottom line is that God alone, God alone is ultimate. And that any person or relationship or institution or activity that tries to remove him and replace him in importance in our life becomes an idol to us. And we live in a culture where idol worship as it relates to marriage has reached unprecedented power and influence. And if we don't get this right, we end up placing single people in an incredibly difficult position they have a hard time understanding just how wonderful it is to be single. And we end up creating this posture 
that single people believe that where they are in life is somehow aberrant and must be quickly remedied by marriage at your earliest possible convenience. That somehow being single makes you less than, and that is not what the Scripture indicates. In fact, there is a word in which most churches approach single people in their church, and it's called this, and we believe that it's a holy activity, matchmaking. Some of you are really good at it. Some of you have no business whatsoever (laughs) participating in it. But to see singleness as an aberrant place to be, I just don't think the Bible teaches that, and certainly Paul doesn't teach that in this particular passage. In your bulletin, there's an outline if you want to take some notes over these, but one of the first points that Paul makes for Christians is he wants Christians to experience singleness as something that is good. Experiencing singleness is good. In verse 8, he declares, Now to the unmarried... And to the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. If Paul had had Facebook in his day, this would have been his status. He was declaring, how many of you know a relationship's not real until it's Facebook real? You know. And so Paul is making his Facebook status declaration that I am single and I'm not ashamed of it. And he's stating very clearly that he wishes that within the body of Christ and within the church that people who are single would remain single, don't feeling the, the pressure of having to change that. Interesting enough, there's a lot of debate as it relates uh, to the relationships that Paul had had in his past and the kind of man he was, and there's scholars that debate whether or not Paul was always single or whether he had at one time had a wife. A lot of scholars believe that Paul was at one time married, and the reason for that is the nature of the culture that he lived in and the fact that he had been a Jewish Pharisee and the significance of Jewish men being married. And so many scholars, in fact, the majority of scholars that I read, believe that Paul had been married and that his wife had passed away when she was young, early in their marriage, and that he was speaking in this particular passage as if he had been widowed. Besides that, I want you to rest in the reality for a moment that Paul, not only was he declaring that he was single, but to broaden the scope a little bit, we know that Jesus was single. And so you have Paul, who very likely could have been a widower, and Jesus, who was never married, two men that had tremendous impact on the way that we live today because Jesus is our Savior, and Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. And you'll notice in the text that he said, it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this, that Paul is saying that singleness and remaining single is a good thing and that being married is a bad thing. That's not where I'm going with this. Nor is Paul saying that the desire to be married, if you are single, is a bad thing. He's not saying that either. But what he is saying is something that is incredibly important for us to recognize about the single life. Notice that he addresses verse 8. He he mentions two particular types of singleness, to the unmarried and to the widows. Interesting within this, he speaks of a category of one who has not been married yet, still has the options and opportunities to choose that, and the other who by nothing of their own doing found themselves single by being widowed. 
And he speaks to them and said, to the widows and the widowers, it's good to remain single as I am. And I want to point out as I pull out of the application of this passage of Scripture that he is writing to people who are not necessarily saying that my preference is to be single. He's writing to people who find themselves in the circumstances of being single. Those who were widowed or widowers. It wasn't their choice. They just find themselves in that circumstance. And so today, if we were to place that in the culture in which we live, it might be today that as a single adult, you may have never been married. It may be that you had a spouse that passed away, and today you were a widow or a widower. It may be that you were a single adult who's gone through a divorce, and you've got biblical grounds to remarry. It may be that you're a single person from one of these categories, and I think that this situation that Paul is describing kind of fits you wherever you may find yourself, whether you're single by choice or by circumstance. And in some way, if you are at the place where your circumstances have you as a single person, you may have every longing and every desire to get married, but right now, based upon God's sovereign design in your life, at this moment, you are a single person. And being there, Paul's instruction to you is this. It's actually a good place to be. It's a good place to be. It's not a bad place to be. In fact, don't feel sorry for yourself or feel bad about it. And I understand that we in the church, we we know what it's like in the church. And for those of us that are married people, and we see all these little kids running around, and the conversations that I have with so many of our single people are that I wish I was there. I wish I was like that. How many of you know you can wish your life away wishing that you were in a different circumstance than you are? And so you need to hear this today. You need to hear Paul saying, for now where you are as a single man or a single woman, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you are incomplete. It doesn't mean that you are inadequate. It's not something that you have to correct in order to be made right. It's a good thing, and you need to know that there is nobody out there that will make you whole but Jesus. And we make a mistake in our church when we create an atmosphere where our single people feel as if they are second-class citizens and we don't know where they fit in. So Paul is saying that Christians should experience their singleness as a good thing. And then he goes on to state that Christians should also exercise your singleness as a gift. Exercise your singleness as a gift. When we look at verse 7, Paul says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God, One has this gift, another has that gift. Now, I want you to know that in the way that this is written, the Greek word here was not speaking generally or specifically to the male gender, but was talking about mankind. In other words, whether you are a man or a woman experiencing singleness, Paul is encouraging you not to have to rush through this, but let the Lord do something within you. There's also a really interesting terminology that's within this particular passage of Scripture when he talks about the gift. I wish that all of you had this gift. And this has been misinterpreted through the years as if he was speaking of a gift that we would call today a gift of celibacy. And when we think about what celibacy is here and the way it's translated, it's, it's not just as abstaining from, but we view this gift of celibacy, if, if that was what he were talking about, as some kind of a supernatural thing or a supernatural enablement by which you no longer struggle with or have any sexual longings or desires or long to be married so that you can enjoy sexual intimacy. 
And there are people that look at that, and there's a lot of married people, and, and there's a lot of single people that, said, that, that look at this and say, I have got to get married because I do not have the gift of celibacy. I know you do. You think about it. But I want you to know that that is not the interpretation of the gift that Paul is speaking about here. And so by misinterpreting it, we lose some of the power of what the Scripture is trying to tell us. And so what Paul is trying to get to in terms of helping you as a single person in your singleness right now is that you have been given gifts and abilities and talents that because you are single, you have the freedom to express them and use them in ways that are encumbered. People that are married and have families don't have that kind of time. And he's speaking to you. And he's saying there's gifts to the church available because of the singleness of individuals. And I don't think that he's trying to say in, in this that, that it is wrong in any way for people to have desires to want to be intimate with others. In fact, if you think about this, if Paul is in fact a widower, then you have a man who has been married, who has had an experienced what we hope was a fulfilling sexual life. His wife has died, and now that door which had been opened suddenly becomes closed to him. And Paul as a man is standing before people saying, you know what, God can help us in those areas. But it's not something that he perhaps had never known. In fact, what Paul is saying is that the circumstances that I find myself in at this very moment, I find as my, my opportunity to be a gift to others, a gift to the church, and a gift to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I honestly believe that our default mode in the church is to view singleness as something that you have to get past. And we work hard at it with each other at times. And we do it so often and so easily and so quickly that we don't recognize at all that the Bible says... It's okay and it's important to be single because we've all understood that life can get busy when you have a family. And I'm not saying at all that life doesn't get busy when you're single. I'm saying that life has different busyness stages to it. So Paul is saying there's an advantage to your kingdom walk if you remain single. But he also recognizes that a lot of people won't. Tim Keller, in his book that he wrote, The Meaning of Marriage, he, he has a chapter that's dealing with single life, and he makes this statement referring to the passage of Scripture, this passage in particular, and he says this. In his writing, Paul always uses the word gift to mean an ability that God gives to build others up. So in this passage, Paul is not referring to some kind of elusive, stress-free, unaffected by sexual longings state. The giftedness of being single for Paul and the freedom it gave him was so that he could concentrate on ministry in ways a married man could not and brings clarity to the understanding that the gift that Paul was living in was not a gift of celibacy or lack of longing but was understanding that in his giftings he could pour himself into the church. So if you begin to think about the giftedness of singleness as opposed to celibacy, it means that the things that you are going through as single individuals are not unusual whatsoever, but the power of the living God can come alongside you and help you to live righteously in your singleness for the glory of the Lord. 
It may be, regardless of your circumstances and how you find yourself today, it may be that you are single for a short time. It, it may be that you are single while you're looking for a spouse. It may be that you're single for an extended period of time, and it, it can be any number of circumstances. But what I want you to know right now is it's a good thing, and you should treat it as a gift, and God's people need to recognize that and encourage one another about it. You should be about the business of God and your singleness in reality, we often work differently than that. And I have seen this more times than I care to admit, and I've even seen it in the movement of the assemblies of God. How many times have men not found an open door of ministry because they are single? How many times have we had wonderfully talented, anointed women that can't find ministry because they are single? And they are treated as if there is no place for you in the ministry or the kingdom of God until you have been made whole by somebody else and suddenly that makes everybody else feel more comfortable around you and I want you to know that's not what Paul is stating. He said there is gifts in singleness. In fact, when I was serving in the district office as the district youth director, I remember one time that we had a gifted young man who was a wonderful communicator and as he was leaving an assistant pastor position to begin to pursue a lead pastor position, he was in his 30s and he was unmarried and was not dating. And he called me after the interview to state to me that one of the board members during the interview looked at him and said, do you have homosexual leanings? And he said, I didn't know for sure how to answer that. And he said, no, I don't. He goes, because it's highly unusual for a minister your age not to be married because it's not that there are not good women out there looking. And he told me, he says, just because I'm single, they would not consider him. And they told us, they told him, we love the way you preach, but we would never consider you to be our pastor because you make us feel awkward. Now let me say something absurd to you, and I want you to let this sink into your spirit this morning. In many of our churches, Paul would not be an appropriate candidate for a lead pastor because he would make people feel awkward in his singleness. And just as we have this tendency, we do this over and over again, and, and then we back off and we justify it like this, and here's the way it's justified. Well, we have to be careful with single people because, you know, the temptation of sexual sin is always there with them. I, I've got a big surprise for you. Do you know the temptation for sexual sin is there with married people too? And yet somehow we, we easily slide that over into a single person issue. And it is a human condition. It's a human issue. And so we as the church must be very careful in the way that we project outwardly or subconsciously to the single people in our families and the singles in our family of God that somehow if you'll just correct this situation, you'll be marketable. Paul is saying, singleness is good, and you should exercise your singleness as a gift. But then Paul brings this clarification to this whole passage when he says this. He encourages a life of singleness with godliness. Singleness with godliness. Paul is teaching that as Christians, we should experience singleness as a good thing, that we should exercise our singleness 
as a gift and that we should embrace it with godliness. In verse 9 comes one of these great scriptures, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That's an interesting word. Now, something that I have said to you already is that in the church, we can have a very high view of marriage, and I believe that we ought to. But it's not a huge leap to take a very high view of marriage and turn it into an idol. A view of marriage that only married people are fulfilled and only married people can have effective ministries and and only married people have it all together. I can tell you from the counseling that I do on a regular basis, single people have it all together better than married people in many instances. But in Paul's day, that was the kind of thinking, that was the culture that pushed into the church. And I think that today in our culture, the, the high view of marriage has taken a tumble. In our culture today, marriage is not held in high esteem. In fact, in our culture today, singleness is even viewed differently because in our culture today, the most important thing to people is this, self-fulfillment. So if being married fulfills you, do it. If being a homosexual fulfills you, then do it. If having a preference to remain single fulfills you, then do it. But in this culture, it's all about what makes me happy, what makes me fulfilled. But you want to know something? Paul's preference for remaining single in his life was kingdom-oriented. He had a preference for being single because he wanted to be about God's glory. He wanted to have all of his energy to be able to pour into the kingdom of God because he wanted to be able to do without distraction what God had called him to do. And when you talk about our culture today and the people in our culture today, they speak of the preference of being single. It has nothing to do with God's glory. Here's what we hear. Well, I'm, I'm remaining single because I've got to establish and focus on my career. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm holding off on getting married because I want to travel the world. Or I want to hold off on being married because I just want to be unattached. I don't want anybody dragging me down. Or I want to hold off on being married because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I don't want to be tied down with the responsibility. I want to be free, and I want to be loose. Now, here's the question that Paul would ask our culture today that puts things in perspective. Okay, but are you being sexually pure in your singleness? Are you remaining godly and giving your singleness to God, or are you preferring to pursue self-fulfillment while remaining single. You see, if, if your attempt to hold off attachment to somebody else falls under the desires of self-fulfillment, then what happens is it's not a, prefer- a preference of remaining single for the glory of God, but the singleness then becomes something that you fall in line with so that you end up hooking up or shacking up or every other kind of wrong up because you're more concerned about your self-fulfillment than you are your singleness. So how are you living life? And to this Paul speaks and he said, if you cannot exercise self-control, 
You are not able to control your longing and desires for sexual intimacy, and that may be where you're at. Then he says, you should get married. And the reason that he says that is because Paul understands in the direction of the Lord that marriage is the only right situation of which you can find sexual fulfillment. It is the only place. And there are a lot of people that see what Paul writes here and believe that what he is doing is that he is giving the remedy for lust of humanity. Because he uses the terminology if, that you're burning with passion. It's better for you to get married than burn with passion. And so we've got this image in our mind that all these people that can't control themselves, that are just so lust-filled, that marriage becomes the door that God opens so that you can at least be normal. And that is completely wrong. Paul is not saying that for you who are lustful, for you single man that cannot get out of your mind sexual thoughts all the time or you young lady who are struggling with that issue that suddenly that when you get married that all of the battles against temptation and sin and lust are going to disappear because you're married because I want you to know something you will have those same issues as a married person that you did when you were a single person because it's a heart issue not a lust issue it's a heart issue and so God has given to us the gift of marriage because it is the God-ordained, divinely sanctioned place for having a sexual relationship. It is within the marriage of a man and his wife, a woman, and that is the only place that God permits that to take place. Mark Decker wrote an article on sex and the supremacy of God, and he says it this way in there, and, and he's just really, really blunt, which probably when you're dealing with sexual issues in the church, you should probably just be blunt. So he says this, the first thing to say about sex and the single man or sex and the single woman is this. There should be none. There should be none. And God has given us a place for this in marriage. And here's the issue that our culture must know. All of the other places where sexual intimacy takes place outside of the marriage union is ultimately harmful. It is ultimately destructive and is ultimately sinful. So as a single person, what Paul is saying is marriage is good, being single is good, sexual sin is bad. Whether it's in married relationship, outside of that boundary, or you are a single person that are enjoying sexual relationships outside of that boundary, then that's not good. And what he leads us to is this. This is the reason that the answer to lust isn't just getting married. It's because Jesus knows that every one of us in our hearts, when we come to know him, our hearts must be reoriented. And that Jesus Christ alone is the only Savior that can do that. There is no other answer to the heart issue of sin other than Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would please come. And as they do, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. I find it in Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read verses 1 through 5, and then verses 10 and 12. In my Bible, it's under the title of Rules for Holy Living, but it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, so he's speaking to the church, those that know Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death. In other words, there is this battle that goes on on a daily basis within the hearts and minds of people, single or married. And he says this to all of us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Moving to verse 10. And having put on a new self, which is being renewed. Do you like that being renewed? Today's Pentecost Sunday, and I could, have, I could have preached a message on the renewal of the Holy Spirit because it's so important in all of this. But for those of you who are single, you need to be renewed in your mind and your spirit day by day. For those of you who are married, you need to be renewed day by day in your mind and spirit. This is a renewing the Holy Spirit does within us. It's a constant work. Being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience.